Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast Extras. In this episode, we talk about our overclocking experiences at the Boise LAN 4.0. Did I break a processor? You'll have to find out. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren McKay. Long-time listeners are probably aware of the fact that Dennis and I don't just like to mod a hardware and overclock for fun. We also are big gamers, and especially I am a big LAN party fanatic. In fact, I've been involved with several LAN party groups, and lately have taken a renewed interest in getting back involved with the LAN scene. And fortunately, that's coincided well with a new LAN group here in town, Boise LAN. So Dennis and I have been getting involved with them as sponsors with a a great opportunity for us to work with some of the vendors that provide us with product and give back to our local community. So this year, we attended Boise Land 4.0. 4.0, it was the, as the name suggests, the fourth land party. The very first one happened in Nampa, which they got a little crap over, but I caught it in CPU mag and I said, hey, Darren, we have to go to this thing. We didn't, you know, schedules didn't work out very well, but for Land 2.0, both Darren and I went and we had a excellent podcast promotion where at the very end we ended up giving away almost an entire computer which was awesome which was crazy uh and then also uh what was it you gave away a cool it machine that was like i did the old eliminator one of the great great first uh uh, hybrid water cooling setups yeah that was that was actually quite fun and the the guy that won it uh i think he's actually using it i'm not sure but uh for boise land 4.0 because we missed three we gave away some gear to just be added to the raffle. So let's talk about it because we love our sponsors and we're especially pleased when we get stuff to give away besides just the stuff that we have. Yeah, and actually all of this stuff was reviewed on Hardware Asylum, so I can pull up links and put them in the show notes. But we had a Fantex Mini ITX chassis. It was white, very nice, had a 200 millimeter fan in the front, pretty cool. We had an Inwin 303, which has the tempered glass side slash front panel. Yeah, that's a pretty case. Kind of built for water cooling. Uh, The guy that won that, I think he's building a system for his daughter in it. So I really look forward to seeing that. Yeah, we'll see that one again soon. And then we also had a master box from Cooler Master, which is kind of like the master case without the handles. Uh, So it still had the the maker series where it's all modular inside, but uh, not as elaborate. Well, of course, we don't go to land parties just to give stuff away, but that is a lot of fun, too. But we also go to participate. And this year, we thought it would be maybe fun to talk a little bit and share some of the stuff that we do as extreme builders, and that was overclocking. Overclocking. That's one of my little side passions. You know, I haven't done it in a couple of years, except for the land party. But before that, I was really big into liquid nitrogen, did phase change, I did extreme water cooling, which is kind of a, a side little note where you add a water cooler to a phase change to almost get the water cold. <laughs> well, we've talked about that in chillers, especially when we've talked about the most recent mod to win competition. Yes. But at the Boise Land 4.0, as part of us sitting down playing games, doing a little bit of dying light and kind of wandering around and hobnobbing and whatnot, I was going to do a bit of extreme overclocking with dry ice. Wow. Now, dry ice is not something that we normally use here around the land. No, it's one of those um, cooling devices that is kind of a step up. If you think about cooling methods for overclocking, you have 
the air cooler, water cooler, and that's kind of ambient cooling. The next step down would be uh, a phase change machine, but that's kind of a cost prohibitive thing. So it takes about $1,000-ish to get a good phase machine so that you can bench phase. But they're noisy. They're basically an industrial refrigerator that concentrates down to a small two-inch size circle that will get you down to about negative 30 degrees centigrade. And these are really cool, but I want to stress again that they're bulky and loud. Not exactly the thing you want running next to you when you're gaming and chatting at a LAN. Yeah, and that was uh, one of the debates. Is like, well, do I bring the phase machine or do I get liquid nitrogen, which has its own kind of qualifications and issues as well. But I settled on dry ice, and that was the next step from phase in terms of temperature. So with dry ice, you can get down to negative 70 degrees centigrade. That's where carbon dioxide solidifies, basically, because it goes solid to gas. There's no liquid phase. And then, of course, from there, you can go to liquid nitrogen, which will get you down to a negative 196 centigrade, which, you know, not many processors aside from AMD will run that slow or that cold. Very impressive. Now, we've talked a lot on the podcast about water cooling, especially most recently with the with the latest build. And in the past, we've talked quite a bit about phase and liquid nitrogen. But I don't know that we've talked a little bit about dry ice. Now, you talked about the temperature change, but from an equipment standpoint, what's the difference? What's necessary to make a dry ice build, or in this case, a, a do a dry ice run? It, really nothing. From... <laughs> And that's one reason that I picked it, because um, at the Boise LAN 4.0, I wanted to do an overclocking workshop to kind of explain something that Hardware Asylum does that's different some, than some of the other hardware sites out there. I actually do overclocking, and I'm a pretty accomplished overclocker. So I set out to do a hardware workshop where for an hour I would sit down and we would just overclock and kind of explain how the insulation works, how the cooling system works, how voltages play into temperature and how voltages are needed to get certain clock frequencies and stuff like that and kind of get the, the, the people in attendance to somewhat participate and get excited about it. Well, if nothing else, to ask questions so that we could help educate. Because let's face it, these days there are a lot of enthusiasts, but most overclocking is out of the box, right? You buy a super clocked video card or... You run turbo mode on your processor at, at best. Yeah, you, you buy your overclocking. You don't make it yourself. And uh, as I was going to mention at the workshop, and I mentioned had at the workshop because we had some hardware issues and I wasn't able to do the workshop at the Boise land, but I still was able to overclock. So, Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So I want to step back and talk about what, what we were trying to do because this was a scratch end-to-end. So you were building machines specifically... Mm-hmm. For the build, yep, and you had picked some equipment out. So let's let's talk about that real quick, and and if there's any method to the madness on the hardware that you chose. Let's go back in time two weeks before the land party. Two weeks, I had went out, bought some dry ice, picked it up from the local supplier, so that I had twenty pounds of dry ice to play with. And you made root beer. Uh, no. Ah, all right. So what'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> so I set up a a gigabyte Z170X SOC force motherboard, which is the latest one for Skylake, running my uh, 6600K processor. Not the top of the line, but we are Core i5, so it's four cores, non-hyperthread. And that's a great processor that's also really popular in the gaming crowd. Yes, exactly. That 
there's nothing with the system that I was overclocking with that a gamer wouldn't already have, aside from maybe an SOC force. Okay. So I set out, uh, basically set it up the same way I would do liquid nitrogen overclocking. So I insulated the entire board with kneaded eraser. That's my preferred method. Uh, some paper towels to absorb water. Put my container on there, which is the Beast Pot from DeBear. DeBear, or I can never say his name correctly, but Roman. He's a German machinist. Very good. And a phenomenal overclocker. So I set up the, the Beast Pot and... The, really set up the rest of the system the way that I wanted. I had some benchmarks installed. Uh, I was running an old GTX 770 video card just to, you know, I knew how that video card would work. I knew it would uh, overclock well, and it really would give, again, something that somebody at the LAN party might have. Right, right. I, I mean, I wanted to pick this hardware so that it could be just anything anybody would have. Nothing really in your corny where it was like classified card or... Yeah, cost prohibitive or, yeah, unicorn is a great term because we've talked a lot about how great some of this equipment is and how difficult it is to get. And the goal here, as you can tell, was not to show up with something that somebody there couldn't go, oh, I'm going to go out and buy that and try it. Mm -hmm. And again, I didn't want at the workshop to be like an overclocking clinic where I'm telling people how to overclock their system. I wanted to show the process of overclocking in an extreme environment where not everybody's going to be able to put dry ice on their system to be able to cool it down. But the process of overclocking is exactly the same, provided you can get the same cooling. Okay. So, so we, that we was built the machine. I built the machine and this was we, two weeks before I was basically running through every benchmark I wanted to run at the workshop. So I nice. knew exactly how it worked, what my scores would be, what my clock frequencies were going to be, what my temperature limitations were. Cause that to overclock, there's three things you got to balance. There's voltage, temperature, and frequency. And every one of those has a dependency of something else. I wanted to make sure I had that triangle set up. So I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, did it overclock well? Did we earn cups? Or? Uh, we earned some points. Points. Yes, mm -hmm. we got points. There was no cups because it, to get cups, I needed to use uh, liquid nitrogen cooling. Okay, so for the non-competitive overclockers, what are we talking about? We are talking about hardwarebot.org, which is a website dedicated to the collection and ranking of overclocking scores from independent overclockers like myself all around the world. So it gives us an opportunity to run an overclock, submit it for a score, and that helps us to determine where we are sitting with similar or identical hardware that's being tested by other overclockers around the world. Yeah, there are several overclockers on Reddit who say, hey, did I win the silicon lottery? I'm using blah, blah, blah on air cooling. Who knows? Yeah. But if you go to hardwarebot.org and look at air cooling for your processor, you can see what other overclockers have gotten score-wise in um, you know, frequencies, scores, whatever, for your hardware. Yeah, think of it as, uh, we like to say, sort of like drag racing, right? You're going to put your equipment together. You're going to do a speed run. You'll complete a couple of benchmarks. And then you'll post your scores, not unlike the quarter mile times in a drag race, mm -hmm. to see how quick you are. So hopefully that helps make it a little clearer for the non-technically folk out there like myself. Yes. Ultimately, after um, two days and four hours each day, I was able to get through my 20 pounds of dry ice, which, <laughs> uh, strangely enough, I had it in a, a regular cooler and it froze itself to my carpet in my house, which I thought was really kind of fun. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. Note to self, don't get a leaky cooler from your dad so that you can put dry ice in it because you don't have a cooler that's big enough. 
Right. Yeah. Maybe I'll edit that later. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. <laughs> fix it in post. So afterwards, I figured out my scores, uh, what my overclocks were. I wrote down the temperatures that I needed, voltages I needed, so I could quickly go through the motions at the workshop. Right, because we don't want to fumble around when we've got an audience. That's no good. No. So at that point, I tore everything down, packed it away nice. I kept the hard drive with the motherboard so I could take it to the LAN party. Does this not feel like it couldn't go wrong? Well, I would hope not. Perfect. So we're very prepared. Way to go, Dennis. Very prepared. I'm thinking ahead. Day of the LAN, I pack everything up into three separate boxes. Who thought you needed three boxes of overclocking gear? But... I guess I did. Brought we that to take the... all our equipment on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I go to the land and my workshop was on Saturday, but I brought everything early so I'd have it there. And on, you know, an hour before my workshop, I pulled out all the hardware, started setting up. I even had one of the uh Constantine, the guy that would run the Boise land. I had him filming so I could kind of film the insulation process and kind of make a YouTube video out of it. Kind Heck of yeah. Check give, us out. Give backs a little bit about, hey, how do you overclock? But then when I got everything set up, we got power hooked up and I went to power on and the system kind of like did this little flash and then stopped and then rebooted. And the overclocker in me is thinking, hey, this is what happens when you have a failed overclock. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to my head, it's like, well, did I leave it overclocked when I put it back in the box? It's like, no, I reset the CMOS back to default. And it goes and reboots itself, comes back up, and it's sitting at 800 megahertz. Wait, I got this. This is because you didn't wear an anti-static bracelet, right? Or that I was building on carpet and then later on hardwood floors or the moon was in a weird phase. Who knows? But no, it wasn't an anti-static <laughs> bracelet. That was, that'd be dim, so to speak. But in this case, I, I tried several things trying to get the system to boot. I went and changed memory, pulled memory out, pulled the video card out, ran off of the onboard video. Nothing seemed to happen or matter. It, yeah, that's no good. Oh, I even changed base clock to see if it would like bring it up. And instead of 800 megahertz, I had 810 megahertz. It's like, hmm, that's a little weird. So at that point, it was getting down to crunch time right before my workshop. I'm like, no, I'm not going to be able to make this work because... I think I blew up my processor. In retrospect, I, you know, I talked to Gigabyte about it, and they said, well, there's two things that could be wrong. There's uh, something related to the, the Southbridge and the Intel uh, management engine, saying that one of the BIOS updates kind of broke that, and it sometimes breaks the base clock and the multipliers adjustments because those two things are linked. Or it could be the cold slow switch. Oh, so on overclocking motherboards, there is a switch that allows you to um, kind of do edge-style overclocking. So if you're on liquid nitrogen, you can cool your CPU down to whatever temperature you need at this low, super low setting where it's running at 800 megahertz. Like a safe zone. Yeah. And at that point, you can get the temperature where you need to have it. You flip the switch. Instantaneously, it ranks up to the frequency you're after. And then in CPU-Z, you can take a screenshot flip the switch back and at that point you have you know your system running at what 7.5 gigahertz or whatever it is that you're trying to overclock to so it's this edge style overclocking that is enabled with that switch so that was the other issue where that switch could have been broken or shorted no i think that's a great topic because i honestly had no idea what that switch did and there is like 
you know, I'm exaggerating here, but there's 10 different switches on this motherboard in the same area. And the, the slow mode switch was right next to the power, the main 24 pin oh, no. power connection. Whoops. So ultimately I'm thinking that I bumped that into the point where it was like in half a position or something like that. But it, the way that the bias reacted, it seemed like it was a bias problem. So Per their recommendation, I flashed the BIOS back, flashed it again, and then flipped that switch a couple of times, and then it worked just fine. But by that point, we had pulled the plug on our demonstration for day one. For day one, yes. And so we ended up, uh, Darren and I drove back to the Hardware Asylum Labs, picked up another set of overclocking gear, which was the Z97X SOC Force from Gigabyte. Great board. And a Haswell CPU, which has run at 6 gigahertz under liquid nitrogen. And all the associated gear they needed to have ran back to the LAN party. And then at that point, I missed my my, uh, hardware workshop time. And everybody was hunkering down for the long night of... of, uh, Overwatch competitions. Yeah, Overwatch. Crazy. And the uh, I think the Nationals for League of Legends, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they had that simulcast on the... On the big mm-hmm. screen there. But I was in the back corner with a couple of lights and set up my system. A couple of guys from uh, that came up from Utah were interested in what I was doing. They even came up and said, hey, are you building your PC for the LAN party? I'm like, no, my PC's over there. I'm going to make this one go faster. And they all of a sudden got intrigued. And for the next hour and a half, they were huddled around the table <laughs> watching me put the system together and then setting up with the overclocking um, rig with dry ice and whatnot. So, and I had overclocked there for a good four hours into the night until I ran out of things to run and I was down to my last few scoops of dry ice. Well, that doesn't sound like a bad second plan there. And we definitely had a lot of folks coming over for looky loos and asking questions, which mm-hmm. is really all you can hope for when you're at a land party competing with all the excitement and fun that is involved in that. Yeah. So, but in terms of the process of dry ice overclocking, you know, we talked about, you know, the troubles and tribulations I had at the LAN 4.0, but for overclocking with dry ice, it's a bit different than with liquid nitrogen, for instance. With liquid nitrogen, you have this liquid gas coming out of a tank and it looks a lot like water. You just kind of pour it in there and you can control your temperature based on how much nitrogen you pour and how much it uh, off gases because once it hits something warm, it releases it, it, it. Well, in this case, it absorbs a bunch of heat and absorbs it from somewhere else and makes everything cold. With dry ice, we have a solid and we need to make that solid make contact with a, a unique surface. In this case, the CPU container. So to do that, you need to have a liquid binder. And I used uh, 99% rubbing alcohol. So you pour that into the container, and then you drop drop in your dry ice chunks, and then at that point it cools down the rubbing alcohol, which in turn cools down the copper container. So that's how you make that connection. Okay. So I know when we're pouring liquid nitrogen in that same pot, the biggest challenge is keeping a consistent temperature. Mm-hmm. How do you keep a consistent temperature when you're working with inconsistent chunks of dry ice? The same way you do with a single-stage phase machine, Oh, which is you don't. So with a single-stage phase machine, you have a constant temperature, and that is what is basically negative 30C coming off the phase head. And when you have heat coming in from the CPU, you can collapse the phase, which is what I call basically putting too much heat into it, causing it to heat up. 
dry ice has that same problem, but it, it happens at a lower temperature. So with no heat coming off the CPU, you can get the container down to negative 70. And I, at the LAN, I had it at negative 98 degrees centigrade, which is pretty much as cold as it's possibly going to get. But as I was running like W prime, for instance, putting in a good almost 200 Watts of heat, you would slowly see that temperature creep up. And the way that I was able to curb that was by basically adding more dry ice. It doesn't seem possible, but I had the container itself is about four or five inches tall. And then there's an extension tube, which is another four or five inches tall. And I put in maybe three inches of, um, rubbing alcohol and then filled the entire thing up with dry ice. And that was the only way I was able to get it down close to like negative 60 C to get it even lower than that. I had to take the dry ice and smash it up into really small chunks. Basically it's more surface area contacting the liquid and transferring heat or removing heat in this case. So as I was running W prime, you'd see the temperature rise up. And if it got to a certain point, the system would crash. And that is where you'd either have to add more voltage to get over that hump or get it colder. And that was one thing that, uh, those guys that came over and was watching me put this thing together, I'm running W prime trying to reach a certain score and it kept crashing. I'm like, okay, well we either need to make it colder or we need to add more voltage. And I said, I'm going to add more voltage. So I added more and lo and behold, it made it through. Nice. And then we try to go up another hundred megahertz. And at this point I had to make it colder to make it do that because at that point voltage didn't help. So you had mentioned that at least with the liquid nitrogen, you'd gotten this thing up to 6.0, right? Yeah, 6 gigahertz. So 6 gigahertz. So how close did we get with the dry ice? With dry ice, I was able to hit a solid 5.5 gigahertz, both in 2D and 3D, using my 4790K Devil's Canyon. Well, it sounds like uh, definitely an adventure in overclocking and working with dry ice, which we all knew might be a little bit high maintenance after all. Well, I was hoping for just kind of a, a regular run. You know, that's why I did the trial run a couple of weeks beforehand, set up everything before the show. Had obviously some troubles when I got there, which, you know, may or may not have been user error. But, you know, the fact that it kind of was weird, that's just what you run into. I mean, at the LAN, I thought that I blew up the processor. Well, remember that LAN party is kind of one of those hot pots where moving the machines and installing things and changing your configuration is lots of opportunity for things to go wrong. So it is actually very common for machines to work fantastic at home and then fail at the land party. In fact, that there's always one or two folks that just had the perfectly good machine die. Yeah. And of course I wanted to say, Hey, you can overclock on the machines and not have them blow up. But yeah, <laughs> a bit of embarrassment. Lesson learned for me is that uh, maybe do a bit more testing beforehand <laughs> or, you know, set it up the day before the land to make sure it continually works or something. Well, what I can tell you was successful is we did get a lot of interest in what we were doing and folks that took some pictures, some of which you can see on our Facebook feed mm-hmm. and video, which you can also check out through our YouTube channel mm-hmm. and dry ice overclocking a little cheaper than some of the extreme options might be something worth looking into. If you want to take that next step up from a water cool, it's definitely something worth looking into. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on hardwareasylum.com. 
Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Google or like us on Facebook. This has been an Ninja Lane production, copyright 2016. Thanks for listening.